Welcome to episode number 81 of the Inspirational Athletes Podcast here on the Always Lancaster Podcast Network. I'm your host, John Walk, sports reporter for LNP Newspaper and LancasterOnline.com, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. On this week's show is guest Corey Bedick. He is a Hemfield alum. He's currently the Washington College baseball coach. It's a uh, Division Three program located in Maryland, part of the Centennial Conference in which uh, Franklin Marshall and Gettysburg College and all those schools plan. Um, and Corey kind of just tells his journey as an 06 uh, Hemfield alum. And man, he's, he's been all over the place. He played at uh, Gettysburg College up until this year, was the only Gettysburg College player to have played all four infield positions during his time there. Um, and then uh, just decided to get into coaching. He kind of gave it a try for a senior project at Hemfield um, back when he was a high school player, student athlete, and uh, fell in love with it, man. Ended up following along in Gettysburg, and he really has an incredible journey. He ends up helping to start a program at Hood College, started the baseball program there, and turned it into a winner, left it in a better place in which he found it. And now is in just completed his first year at Washington College, and they just had a historic year, uh, 24 and 16 overall. It's the third most wins in program history for a Washington College program that's been playing baseball since 1871. Um, and by the way, I also wanted to mention, I believe his second or third year at Hood College, he was named the Mac Commonwealth Coach of the Year. So he already has quite a few honors on his list, and he's a young guy. And um, He's been coaching forever, but he uh, only got out of high school in 06, which is the same year I got out. But, man, he's already accomplished a lot in his young career, and he's learned a lot. And I think uh, by the end of this conversation, at least anyway, I came away kind of fired up wanting to play for him. And he's one of those, like, you want to run for a wall. I know that saying's used over and over, but he's kind of a, a living example, and I think that kind of comes through in this conversation. All right, one last programming note before we move forward here. If you guys like what you hear, feel free to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play by going by searching Always Lancaster Inspirational Athletes. If you like what you hear, hit subscribe and keep listening in the future. We have some awesome guests lined up. It's kind of that time of year where um, spring sports are winding down and I'm hoping to get a lot of uh, college athletes from the area, area who are now coming back home and who have awesome stories. I'm trying to line those up as we speak here. All right, with all that out of the way, onto our conversation with Washington College baseball coach and Hempfield alum, Corey Bedick. Enjoy. Yeah, so I kind of just want to start to, we'll get into the, I want to really hit on the coaching side with you, so I just want to touch briefly on just as far as Hemfield and then getting to Gettysburg and all that, 06 Hemfield grad, which is, or should be right around the same age because I got out of Penn Manor at the same time, but back then, um, to give people an idea, like, what, what age did you start playing baseball and, like, what got you started? Sure, yeah, I, so I've always played baseball growing up uh, in the area. I played base, baseball, basketball, and football, and you know, my favorite season was whatever season we were in, and uh, grew up in Mountville, so I played baseball, basketball, and football for Mountville, and um, you know, baseball was always my favorite sport, and it was uh, the sport I was, you know, I, I think I was most talented in. And um, you know, played played for the Mountville Cubs, 10U team. Played for the Mountville Indians. Played for the Mountville Angels. Kind of went on that. That's when they had the junior midget, 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 junior midget, and all those uh, levels. So went the whole way up with uh, Mountville, um, and then started playing for Hemfield uh, over the course of my four years. And actually, during my senior year for my senior year project. I actually coached the 10U Mountville team, the Mountville oh, nice. uh, Cubs. So my first coaching experience was when I was a senior <laughs> in high school. So I would 
go from practice at Hemfield to you know the Malville VFW field and coach a 10U team. So that was my first first yeah. experience with coaching. It's like a blast from the past, man. That's all those fields that I grew up playing on too. And I, I think I'm, I'm just realizing I did spend a year in the Malville Little League system, mostly Manor Ridge and all that. But yeah, sure. Yeah, and and was that coaching the 10U team? Like, did a parent ask you to do that, or did you kind of take that upon yourself? Yeah, that or? was uh, that was my idea. That was, uh, um, you know, obviously everybody wants to play baseball as long as possible, be be a major league baseball player. I think pretty pretty early on during my high school career, I I realized that you know I wanted to play as long as possible, but my future was coaching. And originally I was thinking, you know what, how great would it be to be a math teacher and coach high school baseball? You know, at that time, that's what I was thinking um, and possibly pursuing a career in education and, and to, to get my, my feet wet coaching. Um, and I knew we had to do a graduation project, and I thought that would be pretty interesting to do. It's community service. And wow. um, so I had approached the president of the MYA, the Youth Association, about coaching a team. I thought maybe I'd get, like, the uh, – like the third team, the third because they would rank, they would have tryouts and they'd be like the most talented team, the second most talented. So I thought maybe I'd get the guys, and they put me on like the the Mountville Cubs, which is was their number one team for that age bracket. And uh, I remember just being so so invested in that, and it's kind of funny thinking back now. Like you, now I'm trying to win college baseball games and conference championships, and I remember uh, we lost in the semifinals of a divisional game to uh, Manheim Central. Um, and I remember being like, it was Man I VFW was like their team. I remember being like so devastated to lose a 10U game. Like it was just, it's crazy as a player. I never had that, you know, um, that s- such drastic emotions after losing. But, you know, coaching that team, I did. Was it the, the senior project just a pass fail or did they actually grade it? No, yeah, it was just pass fail. Right. Yeah, it was just you got to do X amount of community service uh, or X amount of hours and then write a paper on it. All right. So uh, it it's just kind of like a capstone. Depend on you guys winning no, the championship no, that, yeah, or anything like that. Thank goodness. Um, went on to play Gettysburg College. Inter- interesting thing there you mentioned before we started recording here. Uh, I have stats, 50 games over four seasons, making 40 starts in the infield. Um, but the thing that stands out, you kind of uh, have your name in the history books there. Why is that? Yeah, so uh, up until that, that point, uh, actually just recently, I was uh, the only player at Gettysburg College who have started at least one game at all four infield positions. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, actually, record was broken this past year, a couple of weeks ago, by a, a senior who just done the same thing. But it was pretty neat. It was important to me to be able to kind of help the team in any way I could. And you know, I, I certainly was never the most talented player on the team, but you know, whether it's filling in a third or second or, f- or short or first, being able to help out any way I could. And that's something I kind of preach our our guys. You know, you don't have to be the most pal- talented player on the team, but do whatever you can to help us win. Especially in baseball. I mean, size is, is one of those sports where it's not really dependent upon you could be 5'6 and be one of the best infielders in the sure, country. Sure, exactly. And, um, and political science major uh, for your bachelor's degree, I, I wanted to ask quick just because we know you for coaching now, but had coaching not come apart or, or come about for you, what would political science? Where would that would have led you? Yeah, so uh, I mean, early on, I, I I knew I knew I wanted to do something in sports, and and uh, uh, but then you know I didn't know how realistic you know being a general manager of a professional team would be, in, or a sports agent. Um, I'd always been somewhat interested in law school, and I thought poli sci might be a good way to go there. Um, I quickly learned early on the math teacher idea wasn't going to happen. I my uh, second semester sophomore year took multivariable calculus and when I struggled through multivariable calculus I, I was like oh I don't think you know I'm going to be able to take this math 
degree any further. So I had taken an American government political science class to fulfill a requirement. And it was the first class I was ever in that like I enjoyed going to class and I wanted to participate in. And that was really when I first got involved in you know my interest in politics. Um, and it's something that, you know, sports, you know, sports is my first love, you know, baseball, basketball, football, but, you know, I, I definitely follow politics and, and uh, um, you know, that's something that interests me as well. Well, that makes two of us just as far as the struggles with math. I mean, that's why I'm in this creative <laughs> field and, and writing and reading and all the time. So I hear you on that and decided to, to I guess, stick around after you graduated as an assistant coach. At yes. Gettysburg. Yep. So uh, when I finished at Gettysburg, I knew that college, like, I wanted to give this college coaching adventure a try. You know, at the Division three level, it's it's not definitely not easy. There's not a ton of money or full time positions available for assistant coaches. But I knew I wanted to give it a shot. Um, and looked at a couple opportunities, and the best opportunity was to stay on. I was asked by our head coach there to stay on and uh, help out uh, after I graduated. And it, it gave me coaching experience then when I was going to go to apply for graduate assistant positions or other assistant coaches. I could say that you know, I had been a coach for a year, whereas other people applying for those jobs might be fresh out. Were you pursuing like a master's degree then while yeah. at Gettysburg? Uh, not at Gettysburg. Penn State Bayern? Uh, but I knew, I knew to be a head coach, which was the ultimate goal. Nowadays, you pretty much at the college level, um, a, requ- a master's is, is almost a requirement nowadays. So I knew to get to where I wanted to go eventually, and I didn't know it was going to happen at 26, but I knew to get to where I wanted to go that uh, getting a master's degree was a way to go and mm-hmm. being a graduate assistant was you know best case scenario because I got experience uh, uh, coaching in another program and then they pay for your master's degree so nice. uh, that's always uh, that's always a good thing and then uh, yes yeah, after that one year ends up going to Penn State Bay am I pronounced Barron Barron yep, um, and that's where you did end up getting the the master's degree in business administration but also spent two seasons there as an assistant coach and recruiting coordinator, helping that program to a 59-27-1 record and an Allegheny Mountain Collegiate Conference championship. What in those two seasons, like, what were responsibilities? I see recruiting's on the sure. list there, but what else were you doing, kind of on the field? Yep. So it, I, it was interesting. I went from being like the fourth assistant at Gettysburg College to being the number, you know, the number one assistant at Penn State Barron, and uh, you know that's a team that's been in the NCAA regional almost every other year. So uh, you know, I was the first base coach. I was in charge of infielders and hitters, and uh, just a lot more responsibility. And one of the the most interesting things there was I I couldn't have worked for a head coach that was more different than my head coach was at Gettysburg. Just not, not right or wrong, just two, two guys with completely different philosophies and approaches to things. So it really was eye-opening because at that point, all I'd ever known was Gettysburg because I played there and coached there and thought, okay, this is the way you do everything. And then I had this whole new experience of, well, here, here's a whole new way of doing things. So it really allowed me to kind of uh, start to put together my plan for, okay, if I ever had a chance to be a head coach, you know, take what I like from, from yeah. different coaches and put together my own vision for a program. It's interesting to say that because like I'm a first-year boys lacrosse referee this spring and it's like I've done so many games with these veteran guys and each game I've taken one bit of, of somebody's doing something different I'm like oh I'll apply that here so I, I kind of understand what you're getting there and and because it's interesting just those two programs that's the experience that you had seeing this head coach and that head coach and then boom you're on your own going to Hood College summer of 2013 brought in part-time at the time Hood College um, which is located in Frederick Maryland did not have a baseball program and I'm just wondering, I guess, first off, like, how did you find out about this opportunity? Did they come to you? Did you see it somewhere? And yeah. Why did you decide to go after yep. it? Yep. So that, that was a time where I just finished my master's. I knew I wanted to continue coaching. I was kind of pursuing all these uh, potential opportunities. Um, none of them were full-time, uh, full-time opportunities. And, and uh, I had... Uh, 
uh, I had been offered a position to be a, a Division three assistant coach, and I was talking to my dad one day, and he said, hey, have you heard of Hood College? I just read in the newspaper that they're starting a baseball program, and I'd never heard of Hood College, didn't know much about it, um, but it's interesting that he's the one that, that kind of uh, – um, you know, brought that to my attention. So I ended up applying, went through the interview process, and I think they interviewed, uh, I think they had like 120 applicants. They wow. phone interviewed like 20. And, and um, you know, I'm 20, just turning 26 years old with only three years of coaching experience. And, um, you know, lucky enough, I was given the opportunity to start the program. And um, I was hired in July, and then the, the, the team wasn't going to be brought in until the following August. So I had 13 months to recruit the first team. And we didn't have mm. a field. We didn't have any baseballs or bats. We didn't have a schedule. I, it was like, you know, they hired me, and then I had to go kind of figure all that all that stuff out, which, um, you know, it's kind of daunting. But at the same time, it's a unique opportunity because most most of the time when a, a – um, a new coach steps into a program, there's a reason why there's a new coach. Either the team wasn't very good or there were some issues, but here we could kind of do things, you know, right or wrong the way the way we wanted to. And I had you, by the end of it, after three years, end up raising over $70,000 during that time. Um, and I wanted to bring that up now because that's kind of integral. You don't think like, okay, not only are you building a program, but I didn't realize you're also pretty much the fundraiser to get this program off the ground. Like, what did that consist of? How do you find people willing to donate to a program yeah. that doesn't even exist? Yeah, I mean, I tell people all the time that the two biggest things that year were, number one, recruiting and finding the players, and number two, fundraising. Because at the Division three level, um, I mean, there isn't an unlimited budget. You know, we're um, – you know uh, the the school purchases the uniforms and, and the hats and the some bats and the balls, but you know if, if you want to travel down south during spring break, you're paying you know that's a you know thirty thousand dollar trip. You know uh, if you want to buy jackets and BP tops and things that college baseball programs have, and if you want to recruit, you know you need to have some of those things. You know and uh, uh, that's you need a fundraise form. So uh, that's something that was that's that still is even now. It's a a year year-round thing it's like we're always fundraising we're always um you know whether it's uh, hat sales or camps or clinics it just it's it's one of the top priorities of the job how do you attract a player out of high school to a college that doesn't even have a team yet yeah. um i'm just kind of curious no. about the sales pitch that's a good question like. yeah so i mean the, the number thing number one thing that we uh press upon recruits was hey you have the opportunity to be a part of the first program and the first team and and you don't have any incumbent starters at your position you know we're going to be starting all freshmen next year you can have a chance to be a four-year starter and i don't care what college you're at very rarely is a freshman able to come in and be a four-year contributor so actually that freshman class they're just graduating now they just finished their season oh, senior true. seasonhood yeah. and you know there's one guy that's uh, had over 200 hits and at the college level you know people um, make a big deal getting 100 hits I mean that record wow. is going to stand for a long long time mm -hmm. you've guys that have played in almost 160 games over four years which most most colleges that isn't the uh, you don't have that option um, so just the opportunity for guys to come in be build something compete for playing time right away um, you know, it, not everyone wanted to. You know, some people like the idea of going to a program that that's going to win a little bit more, but not, Cause, not cause everyone. D3, it's already hard enough to recruit when you do have a team because, uh, you know, oftentimes the, these players are waiting for those big D1, D2 offers, and then they're sitting there thinking, oh, well, I still want to play in college. And D3 baseball is still really competitive, and, and kids don't realize that maybe until they get there. It is. It um, is. I'm curious as far as – was the 2014 season at Hood, was that like exhibition? No, 
so we were thrown right in. Uh, Hood was in the Middle Atlantic Conference, which is with Albright, okay. Lebanon Valley, and every other sport. So there wasn't a uh, period of time where we had to, to wait. So, you know, um, in the spring of 14, we were, you know, starting right away. And Sorry, the spring of 15. 15 would have been the first year. Yeah, yeah. So 2014, okay. fi- uh, 15 Got school yeah. year. All right. And 2015 season featured a roster of 37 student athletes. So you were able to find some guys. And not only just a field, a team of 37 is yeah. a lot for a baseball team, especially if I guess they're probably all freshmen, maybe some sophomores. Yeah, we, we had two trans, we had two okay. uh, sophomore transfers. The rest were freshmen. And uh, I think that first year when we were building the team, we probably had 150 recruits to campus over that course of the year. And okay. I was still living in Lancaster um, because I was part-time. <laughs> I was making a three thousand dollars commuting from Lancaster to Frederick Maryland and I would stagger my visits so I wouldn't go down to the campus every day I'd go down two or three days a week so I'd have one recruit visit in the morning one recruit visit in the afternoon Um, but I was driving that hour and 45 minutes a couple days a week to try and talk guys into joining a program that didn't exist and yeah I know that drive I just uh, I did a story this past summer on a Lebanon Valley College football player who's from Frederick Maryland decided to go down to his hometown so and just driving around there man it's it's like really sprouted sprouted just as far as all the shopping centers and everything and it's like happening here now in Lancaster and all but anyway not to get off on a tangent um yeah 2015 season 14 25 overall uh 2016 season improved to 16 and 24 when Corey was named the conference's coach of the year as Hood won seven conference games and hit over 300 as a team I say all that to bring up like not only are you starting a program not only are you fundraising but you also have to develop as a coach too um and and you're doing that with a bunch of young guys who are probably still learning. Like, how do you go about making sure that, A, you're doing things right as a coach, and, two, like you're, you're improving your craft? Sure, yeah. And, I mean, I was, uh, I was 26, 27, 28 years old, and I was kind of learning on the fly. And, and uh, something that we, we preach to the players all the time is, you know, every experience is an opportunity, you know, and uh, hopefully you're successful and you can continue to succeed. But mm-hmm. if you fail, you, you look back and say, okay, what could I have done differently and be better next time? So, you know, we had a lot of success, you know, 14 games, winning 14, then 16, then 20. Um, but there were a lot of failures there too and, and learning from our losses and, and taking our lumps. And um, one of the neatest honors that I've ever received was, um, you know, being a 16 and 2014, but being recognized as, you know, Mac Commonwealth Coach of the Year by, you know, other the other coaches in the conference, guys that have been doing this for a long, long time. Just, you know, we didn't even make the playoffs that year. So recognizing a coach as Coach of the Year who didn't even take his team to the playoffs, mm-hmm. like I just feel like that doesn't happen very often. So that was one of the neatest honors. Just it kind of validated that, like, okay, even though we were 16 and 24 second-year program, you know, we're doing things the right way. We're moving in the right direction. Um, you know, we might not win a College World Series next year, but, like, we're doing things the right way. And I really appreciated that. Along the way, are you – asking maybe some of your former coaches or even the commonwealth coaches like hey what would you do here or bouncing things all the off time okay. all the time yeah it's kind of what we talked about earlier with, with taking things here and there it's um you know I, I i try to learn and and watch other coaches how they do things how they do it differently i want to know why they do things differently uh, maybe i don't agree with it but i i, I love to get in like in their mind and and to challenge the way i do it okay well can i do this better can i teach guys how to hit better is there another way we should be practicing how should our back 
batting practice? Like I'm just how should scheduling, should we schedule different? Should we practice in the morning, at night? Just listening to you know, we have these amazing um, minds in the baseball, you know, coaches circle, even at the division three level, guys that have been really successful winning hundreds and hundreds of games and it's how, how could you not want to you know keep your eyes and ears open and learn from the best yeah and just kind of wrap up yeah 2017 season reached 500 mark overall at 20 and 20 uh, during the three seasons under beta could baseball student athletes won a total of 13 all mac commonwealth honors including five first team honors in addition um, to the success recruiting to the new program uh, corey as i said earlier raised over seventy thousand dollars to support it um, went on to start uh, i guess you started part-time there and then eventually landed a full-time gig and as admissions counselor yeah so uh that first year um like i said i was part-time and there was no guarantee that it was going to be full-time but you know as a 26 year old just finished graduate school with an mba you know i had some other opportunities to you know maybe make a little more money right away Um, but i did i did want to pursue the coaching route and my thought process was let me do such a great job recruiting that first year that they realize that they need to make me full-time to keep me because realistically i'm going year to year at that time i don't know like i have school loans i need to pay off you know, I, I want to finally move out of my parents' place, you yeah. know, you know um, and, and I, they, they recognize that uh, I could be an asset to the campus recruiting not just baseball athletes, but, you know, students in general. So they made me an admissions counselor. So I'd work in the admissions office in the morning at Hood. Okay. And in the afternoon, I'd go over to my second job, which was coaching. Were you like what up up till what point were you living in Lancaster to making that commute down there yeah so um it was that entire first year so when I got hired in July 2013 so the 2013-14 year when I was when there wasn't a team but I was building the team I was living in Lancaster That's a lot of long drives I know you mentioned earlier kind of sacrificing a few thousand dollars and making that hour 40 minutes um but at the time maybe now that you're you're older now and have time to kind of reflect on it like those are the sacrifices that you had to make I'm sure there were some days when you were just burn out but you kept doing it why yeah. why stick with it when it, I'm sure there were days when it got frustrating yeah it's you know pe- people ask that all the time and uh or uh, something similar and, and talk about you know hey you have a master's degree and you have an opportunity you can make a, a really good living you know in the corporate world or mm. and I've always felt like success is being able to do it's not how much money you make, but being able to do what you want to do for a living. Like, you know, right. sometimes people look at, you know, success based off of, okay, how much money do you make? But I'm, I'm getting to do every day something I love doing. Like, you know, um, I work every single day because I love doing it. I don't go to work. It's just, it's a part of my, my life. And um, I think that's, that's true success is um, I wanted to do something. I was able to work, work my tail off to accomplish that. And now I'm enjoying every second of it. So um, yeah, there were moments it was tough and and it was hard. And, you know, you wonder, okay, am I ever going to be able to, to uh, be self-sufficient in terms of income? But then, you know, I feel like now I am a better coach for having gone through those struggles, you know, and it just makes me appreciate it more. You know, not a day goes by that I, I'm not thankful for what I'm doing because for for everything I get to do, there's so many coaches that aren't able to wait it out and aren't able to get the opportunity. And it's not because I'm a great coach and, and they all stink. It's, you know, kind of it's working hard, right place, right time. And, and um uh, making the most of an opportunity. I'm glad I asked you that, man, because that's what this podcast is about, just as far as uh, sharing lessons and, and how to improve as a person, and, and not only that, in the business world, too. And I think that's an awesome story that you told. And then June 2017, um, decided to, I guess, make that next jump in your career. You helped start start Hood and, and kind of leave that in a better place than where you found it. And 
Walk me through, I guess, the thought process just as far as saying, okay, I'm good to go here at Hood and I, I want to take on this job at Washington College. Yes, that, it was one of the toughest decisions I've ever had to make because, you know, as you can imagine, you know, you're, I'm recruiting this entire team. I'm building it from scratch. I'm, I'm helping us improve and get better, and, you know, because of the student athletes. And, and then, um, you know, from a, uh, a career perspective, just too good of opportunity to pass up. And, um, you know, the opportunity to get back in the Centennial Conference, which is where uh, Gettysburg's in the yep. Centennial and where I played and coached and it's you know one of the the top two or three academic conferences in the country at the division three level with Franklin and Marshall and Dickinson um, and, and being able to be at a place where I feel like we can compete for championships eventually on an annual basis you know um, it's just kind of that that next step at Washington College the resources the support the facilities again at Hood we didn't have a field we had a share field with the local community college so you know Washington College we have one of the best uh, baseball facilities at the division three level in the country so um, uh, it was just too good of an opportunity, and like the the type of student athlete we're able to recruit, um, just a higher level. Um, so it really wasn't anything against against Hood. It was just the opportunity to kind of advance and take that next step, a higher challenge against um, you know uh, more established programs, and potentially be able to win conference championships. And going in there, that's a new experience for you because yeah, you're a head coach again at a new program, but you're a head coach for the first time at a program that's already established. Yeah. So how do you kind of go about um, figuring out the initial steps, like how to get your get yourself familiar with the program and the players? Yeah, that, that's a great point. And uh, one of the things I didn't realize until I started was I've never had to deal with alumni before. You know, at Hood College, we didn't because I started the program, we didn't have any alumni. But now I'm going to Washington College, and there's you know groups of you know they they had baseball since 1871. So there's the, the such a strong alumni base. So um, just little things like that that you don't you don't realize. Um, it it was a uh, it was a great experience because of the student athletes there. They they were welcoming. They were open to new challenges. Um, they wanted to improve and get better, and they looked at it as as an opportunity to. So, um, uh, you know, sometimes people have a tendency to, to be afraid of change and not wanting to change. And luckily, the group of 37 players that I had the privilege of working with this past year, they were open to doing things differently and challenging kind of the way they've done things to hopefully get better. And along the lines on the field, too, you also have to recognize, okay, here's what we do well, here's what we have to improve on, here's the things going into the season that maybe we should stick with them. Uh, guys end up going 24 and 16 overall, which I'll get to because it's a really important mark in, in the program history. But just as far as like going into the season and then throughout this past spring, how do you kind of recognize what did we do well and, yeah. and how did you kind of fit people in the lineup and sure. take me inside the mind sure. of a coach, I guess? Um, well, I've always I've always loved a certain brand of baseball and I like bunting and I like running and I like athletic players. Um, but I've always felt that good coaches – they, they don't make players fit a system. They look at what their players do well and play to their strengths. Um, I think that's what, that's what coaching is. You know, anybody can make players fit a system, but a real coach looks at what their players do well and they formulate that system around the strengths. Um, so that was important that we figured out, okay, what do we do well? How can I help put these players in a best position to, to succeed? And does that mean we are, are we a power hitting team, which we, we don't bump very often? Are we a, a team that struggles to score, which means we might need to steal and bunt and do all those things? Mm. Uh, do we pitch well? Are they gonna be low scoring games, high scoring games? So not only are you trying to evaluate the, the teams you're playing, but you're always trying to evaluate um, 
yourselves, you know. So, uh, um, you know, I, I was uh, very happy with it, with our season. Um, you know, if you would have told me in the fall that we would be 24 and 16 and have the third most wins in conference history, I don't know if our talent fit that. I know guys worked hard and they wanted to win, uh, but this season there exceeded expectations, and I think we're only going to improve and get better. Yeah, and you kind of just mentioned it there. I was doing my research before I came in today. Um, 2018 season, so you guys, uh, Washington is a program, 15-23 overall in 2017. Coach Bettick comes in first season in 2018, 24 and 16 overall. Um, eight and ten in the Centennial Conference, sixth place in the standings. Uh, Win-loss improvement of nine games, but to put this in perspective, Washington College record books, as he said, um, goes back to 1871, which, by the way, uh, Ulysses S. Grant was the president then. Um, <laughs> it was only six years after Abraham Lincoln was president. Um, anyway, Grant, Grant couldn't throw a curveball either. <laughs> really? I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> um, and then, uh, so only four, since that time, since 1871, only four Washington college teams have posted seasons of 20 plus wins 97 team, 21 and 13 overall, 2012 team, 28 and 12 overall, 2016 team, 26 and 12 overall, and then this year, 2018. 24 and 16 overall, which is third most wins in program history for a program that's playing baseball since 1871. Um, and by the way, three Washington players this season were named to the All Centennial Conference team. So congratulations on all that. Um, I guess at this point, you're in town for uh, just got finished up with a Centennial Conference meeting, kind of looking back in the season, what things you guys can improve on. But what's next for you as a as a coach now? Are you hitting the ground running with the recruiting? Are you taking a break? All the above? Yeah, or? The, the, no, no break. You know, we're okay. uh, since the season ended, we're uh, you know, we finish our exit interviews where we meet with each player individually, all of our mm. returning players, and talk about their season and, and where we need them to improve, um, you know, uh, things they can work on over the summer. And then as soon as that ended, you know, we're back on the, on the road recruiting this week, uh, going to high school games, starting to evaluate players for the 2019 recruiting class. Um, so it's, it's something that, that's, that's always ongoing. And, and uh, it's, it's, you go through cycles where over the summer it's a he heavy recruiting um, then the fall, the team comes back, and we're in our fall season. We're working on player evaluation, development, and then we're in our winter where it's strength and conditioning. And then, you know, then before you know it, it's going to be February 1st, and we're going to be back out on the field. So uh, it goes fast. And this is a time of the year high school's hitting the postseason, so this is probably like the prime recruitment time for you, or is that coming another month or two? Yeah. Or? So, okay. so uh, um, this is this is the biggest time for us getting to see you know the best high school teams, you know, in Pennsylvania, Maryland, Delaware. You know, go to those playoff games you're going to see really good teams and players that you hope to be able to recruit give me the pitch as far as why one what's it about washington college academically and and what do you pitch as far as baseball and how you can kind of improve them as as people yeah so i mean the, the number one you know priority for our student athletes is getting their degree and uh you know washington college is uh, you know, uh, 1,600 undergraduate students, which is a very small school, um, you know, but but has the resources athletically um, of what you would find at a, like a lower level Division One school. So we stress, you know, hey, you're going to have smaller class sizes. The average class size is, is 14 students. You're going to get to know your professor. They're going to know you. They're going to know if you're in class or you're not in class. You know, in uh, most classes, participation and attendance is you know, 20, 25, 30% of your grade. So the focus is really on not just going to class, but when you're class participating in a dialogue. It's not a lecture where you're listening to a professor speak for an hour and 15 minutes, um, but you're not sacrificing your ability to develop as a student athlete because, you know, with resources, strength and conditioning coaches and 
uh, awesome athletic facilities and, and um, uh, uh, clubhouse. You're able to still develop at a high level even though you're at a smaller private liberal arts school. I was looking on the roster earlier today. You do have one guy from Manheim Township, the one guy from Lancaster County on the roster. Um, what's kind of the, the recruiting area for Washington College or for you as a coach? Yeah, um, well, I, I'm, I'm a little biased, but I love this. I love the Central <laughs> Pennsylvania area in terms of uh, baseball talent. Um, a lot of talent. We actually have a uh, um, another Manheim Township uh, student athlete who'll be joining us in the fall, an incoming freshman, and we're really excited about him too. But um, you know, we we've had a lot of success in New Jersey, and Pennsylvania, and Delaware. Um, but the nice thing about Washington College and the Centennial Conference as a whole, I mean, if you look at Franklin and Marshall's roster and Dickinson's roster, I mean, it, it's a it's a conference that's able to recruit not just in the region, but nationally. So uh, we're open to getting good players wherever we can find them. I mean, we'll be we'll spend a lot of time in New England, in New York, in New Jersey. We'll head out to Illinois and California this summer. We'll send assistant coaches out there uh, just trying to leave no stone unturned and, and not just find talented baseball players, but find uh, high-quality student-athletes that want to be successful in the classroom, on the field, and want to want to improve every single day and help, hopefully help us win a championship. Where is this passion inside you? Where does that, that come from? It, it seems natural, but it had to come from somewhere. Yeah, I, <laughs> I just – again, I, I love what I'm doing, and uh, I, I don't know how many people can say that, you know, and uh, I could sit here and talk baseball for hours and, and – uh, and never get tired. It's just, it's part of who I am. It's part of what I enjoy. If we weren't sitting here talking and I was uh, having dinner with somebody, I'd probably be, we'd probably be talking about the same thing. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a privilege to get to do what I, I get to do. And I don't take it lightly. I know a lot of people wish they had this opportunity and I don't take it for granted one day. That's awesome. So some fun questions as we near an end here, the questions that kind of don't really fit a timeline. What was your favorite baseball team growing up? Uh, well, the specific team was the 93 Phillies. I'm a huge Phillies fan, still am. Was at the game this past uh, Sunday. The bullpen blew it against the Nationals in D.C. 93 uh, Phillies? You must have been like five or six Yep, then. yep. So I was six years old. Because my mom talks about that team all the time, yeah. and I'm more of like 99 and on. And sure, all that, yeah, that, so, yeah, that's the first <laughs> – that's my first recollection of – of a baseball team was when they went to the World Series that year and, and Joe Carter hit the walk-off home run in, in game six. And, right. um, you know, I was a big John Cruck fan and Lenny Dykstra and Darren Dalton. Yeah, because I was going to ask you next, well, who was your favorite player, I yeah. guess, growing up to some of those guys? Yep. Did you collect baseball cards I at did. all? I did. I did. I was just talking to somebody the other day about – Man, what, what's happened to baseball cards? Like, I have probably thousands and thousands. And Still? I, yeah. Uh, that I, I, my parents' house, what's I'm sure she's kept them. What's possession? Um, well, I, I used to think it was a Mark McGuire rookie card, but that seemed to have lost its value <laughs> over the last couple of years. Um, right. But, I, I, you know, I was a big Chase Utley fan then for a while. You know, I just loved the way he played baseball hard, gritty, determined. Um, you know, so I, Chase Utley, a couple of Chase Utley cards. Do you have any, um, I don't know, Foul balls or home run balls or gloves that you had signed or anything like that? Yeah, that's yeah. I have, your... uh, um, I have uh, some from the 93 Phillies team. No way. Uh, yep, wow. yep. Uh, baseball signed by a couple of them. Uh, I had a couple foul balls. We used to go to the vet and catch a couple foul balls that I kept. Um, have a uh, 93 Phillies program guide. Um, just little things like that. Cool. And, that's yeah. awesome. Um, kind of a, a it's not every day I get to sit across from a college baseball coach, but a related topic to this sport is so much about the speed of the game and the baseball is too slow and we need to speed up. We need to put pitch counts on a sure. on a pit or a, a clock on a on a pitcher. Where do you kind of fall in that yeah. topic? I guess. Yeah, I, I'm a. I guess you could call me a baseball purist. You know, um, I, I think. You know, if people knew how much decision making goes into every single pitch, 
You know, if you're when you're the pitcher, what pitch am I going to call it? Fastball, curveball, changeup. Where do I want to throw it? You know, is there a runner on base? Do I have to be quick to the plate as a hitter? You know, what pitch am I going to see? Do I have a runner on base? What's my goal? It, it's um, you know, I, I th- I'm I'm not opposed to a, a three-hour uh, high-scoring game or a two-hour pitcher's duel. You know, I, I appreciate both, but um, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of all the changes. You know, uh, with speeding up the game and the, and I I think it's okay that they're limiting mound visits. I mean, that seems to have gotten out of hand. With the catcher would go out to the pitcher every other pitch, mm-hmm. especially in last year's World Series. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think baseball is a game of beauty and. And uh, I don't think it should be rushed. I mean, it's it's the only, it's really the only sport without a without a clock. And uh, um, you know, I think that's what makes it great. So kind of a similar topic. And if you're a Phillies fan, you see what's going on. Well, not only with the Phillies, but just in the last five to ten years with baseball, so many um, relief pitchers coming in, and uh, maybe managers doing away with letting a starter go eight or nine innings like it was 30 or 40 years ago and now we have six to ten pitchers being used in a game that's more common today than ever was before where do you kind of maybe it's different in college because you know you don't have as many available arms and all that but I'm just kind of curious of what you would prefer in a game or maybe it differs varying depending on what you have on your team I guess well I think it does I mean there's nothing better than a starter throwing a complete game nine inning shutout I mean there's nothing better a guy that starts a game and wants to finish it um, at the major league level it's crazy it used to be maybe there were two or three guys throwing 96 97 miles an hour in baseball and now it's like every team has two or three guys that throw mid to upper 90s out of the bullpen so I understand that uh, why it's gotten that way but at our level we're trying to find uh, find workhorses that are going to start games and finish games and and uh, you know you're always cognizant of pitch counts nowadays and with with uh, the spike in Tommy John injuries and you know that's a whole nother conversation as to you know guys uh, getting into just one sport now when they're younger and pitching and throwing year round instead of playing multiple sports. Uh, but you, you got to be cognizant of that. So we're all, we're, you know, we're keeping track of pitch counts. We're right. charting pitches, um, you know, making sure we're putting our guys in a position to be successful. So it's kind of the point of the podcast where I like to ask guests if there's any advice you can kind of leave listeners, whether something they can apply to make them a better person or maybe somebody has something tough going on in their life and they need inspiration to pick them up. I mean, here you are, you know, you've, you've sacrificed so much and you've already shared a bunch just as far as you get to do what you love doing. Um, you, good coaches, um, they, they take their players, they don't make them fit into a system, they figure out what, what works as far as a team. I don't know, you kind of take that ever which way if you yeah. have any uh, parting words. Well, to us, you know, I think it all comes down to work ethic. I think, it, you know, it's it's so cliche and corny that if you want something bad enough to take it, but I think it's so true. Like, you never know who's watching or, mm-hmm. or what's coming up next, and the only thing you can worry about is working as hard as you can to put yourself in the best position to be successful today. And I think too many people nowadays worry about tomorrow and what other people are going to think and what am I going to do next year what's my next job going to be instead of uh, living in the moment and being the best person coach player student they can today and I'm a big believer that if you worry if you do everything you can today if you be the best person or student or anything today you're going to be fine tomorrow and and not having this um you know not looking too far into the future and and therefore sacrificing being better today Awesome. Well, hey, if you guys enjoyed listening to today's podcast and you'll enjoy listening to previous 80 episodes, so feel free to go back and listen to those in the archives. With that being said, I'm always looking for any guest for uh, any suggestions for future guests in the Inspirational Athletes podcast. So if you're listening to us right now and think, hey, I know this person, they'd be great, throw me an email, jwalk at lnpnews.com or contact me on the Twitter at jwalklnp. Coach, is kind of the point. Anything to promote where people can find you, either yourself or the baseball program? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, 
Washington College Athletics for members of the Centennial Conference, uh, washcall.edu, washingtoncollegesports.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Corey Bedick and uh, Washington College Athletics. I believe it's uh, at WC Athletics. I got it. You here. got it. Yeah, cool, man. Well, hey, before we wrap up here, I just want to give a shout out to my colleagues, Tyler Huber and Irene Snyder. They are the engineers slash producers of this podcast. Thanks for another colleague, Claudia Espenshade. She gets this thing online. So thanks to them. Thanks to you guys for listening. Coach, thanks for uh, sharing your story, man. I Thank you so it. much for having me. It was a blast. Awesome.